Dear Lord Jesus, we are thankful again for the opportunity to come to you. And we just would like to ask for your special presence with us in this place now and also with those who are listening on the radio or watching the live stream or in some other way that you will gather us about you and that we will hear what you have to teach us today. Lord, may I just uh, be an instrument of your peace. I pray in your name. Amen. The question for today, it's not too hard. How many of you were here yesterday? Okay, just about everyone. The question is this. Who was the woman that we talked about yesterday? What was her name? And give a brief history of her and her ministry, how she started out, what happened, and um, at the end, what happened to her. And please wait until the microphone reaches you before you start answering. So who would like to answer the question today? Okay, someone right in the middle there. Very good. And please say your name and where you're from. Well, my name is Mark Barlow. I'm from Appleton, Tennessee, but I've been a long time resident of Michigan up until a year ago. Okay, if you could speak up a little bit so we can okay. hear you. Oh, I that's can, good. That's good. I can do that. Okay. Uh, her name was Lulu, and she talked quite a bit about uh, a temperance, and she moved around a lot, excessively, I would say. Okay, can you tell us any more about Lulu? She seemed to be, uh, based on the writings that we see, it seems like she was interested in uh, maximizing her pay. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I got out of it. Oh, wow. Okay, who can add to that? <laughs> yeah, those, those are some interesting aspects to it. Okay. So one thing is, uh, it was Lulu Whiteman, and she came from a pastorate family. Her brothers, she had two brothers who were like GC president, union president in the conference. Um, and she was wanting, her and her husband were wanting to um, push her into being a, a pastor. And he was an editor for a newspaper, so he would make these advertisements for her meetings that would draw in lots of people. and. They pushed for many, many years to get her to be on the payroll as a pastor, but she was only um, given a license. And finally, um, towards the end, this is year like 1910 and 1911 is when um, things happened to where they, they dropped her license, and within a year they were out of the church. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. So there were, uh, and I, I hope you, you did catch this, there were some good things that, that she did, some very good things. And um, I think you can never go wrong in sharing the gospel. And uh, I'm sure that there will be people in heaven because of Lulu Whiteman's work. That's for sure. However, there are some other things that we can also learn from her experience, and uh, I thank you very much for sharing that. Today, we are going to look at a very interesting person by the name, uh, well, she was named Marinda, and uh, if we could see her up on the screen, Marinda Sipe, and I'll explain why her name looks funny there in just a moment. Um, she was named Marinda, but she always was called Minnie. So we know her by Minnie Sipe, and her name was originally spelled S-Y-P. Her married name, S-Y-P. But if you just saw S-Y-P, how would you pronounce it? Sip. That's right. And it was supposed to be Sipe. So when one of her sons was in academy, he asked, please, can we change our name and put an E on the end? 
And I don't blame him at all. I would want an E on the end of it too if, if that were my name. So that's why uh, if you look her up, particularly in some of the original records like in yearbooks and so on, you may not find her listed, uh, S-Y-P-E, because uh, in some years before that E was added, it, she's just listed as S-Y-P. So she's listed either way, depending on the year, S-Y-P or S-Y-P-E. So we're going to be talking about mini Sipe. And uh, today, for a variety of reasons, we do not have all the PowerPoints that I had yesterday. So I'm sorry about that. But later on, um, hopefully by Friday, some people were asking if they could have copies of my PowerPoints. And by Friday, that should be available. So uh, let me know. Give me your email address, and I'm happy to share uh, the PowerPoints with you that will have the information that we're talking about today. So let's talk a little bit about Minnie Sipe. Minnie Sipe was born in 1869, and she passed away in 1956. So she saw a lot of history in that time period, 1869 to 1956. She was uh, a pioneer, you know, going back to 1869. Uh, she was uh, born in Iowa on a farm. She was an evangelist. She was a licensed minister. She was a missionary, very mission-minded woman. She was born near Thayer, Iowa. And at the age of 20, she married Lorne Sipe. And there was something very interesting that attracted Minnie to Lauren, And that is, unlike a lot of uh, other young men at his time, he did not smoke, and he did not drink, and she liked that. She didn't want uh, to be dating someone or to marry someone who would be blowing smoke all around or drinking alcohol. Do you know why he didn't smoke and why he didn't drink? He was a Seventh-day Adventist. So she thought, well, Adventists are, I don't know, it's a little bit strange, but she did, she did like Lauren. So they got married. She was a Christian, a Sunday-keeping Christian, and for a long time, they went to his church on Sabbath and to her church on Sunday. And they also had worship in their home. Well, she noticed something very interesting, and that is when she would go to her husband's church, they were really studying the Bible. In fact, the members, not just the pastors, but the members themselves were really studying God's word, and they could answer from the Bible why they believed what they believed. Well, one thing that she wondered about was why is it they were both Christians, they both believed in the Bible, but why is it that her church worshipped on Sunday and Lauren's church worshipped on the seventh-day Sabbath? Why is that? Well, she went and she asked her pastor about that. And she was very disappointed when her pastor couldn't give her an answer from the Bible. It just, you know, it's tradition. Jesus rose on that day. So uh, we, in honor of him, we worship on Sunday. But she wanted a Bible answer. She was really hungering for the word of God. Well, fortunately, her father-in-law he was an elder in the church who took a special interest in Minnie, and he offered to study the Bible with her. And so they would have Bible studies, and Minnie loved it. It was 
like water to the thirsty. She couldn't believe how deep they could go into the Bible. Even though she loved Jesus and she loved her church and she loved her friends at her church, she longed for the word of God. And they went through and studied. They studied the sanctuary. They studied the state of the dead. And of course, they studied about the Sabbath, all of our distinctive beliefs. And she could see that this was really true, that it had come, it was based in the Bible. And then she was faced with a decision, not unlike maybe some of you have had to face. Is there anyone here who used to go to a Sunday-keeping church? Yes, I see several hands here. So you know probably uh, what many had to face. Here she was faced. On the one hand was the church that she loved, that she had attended for years, and her friends. She had many friends. And on the other hand, she was faced with the word of God. What is she going to do? And on Sunday... The week that she decided what she was going to do, that first Sunday was so hard as she saw her friends on their way to church. But she ran into her room. She opened her Bible to Exodus 20, to the Ten Commandments. And she said, Lord, I cannot willfully sin against you. And this is what your word says. And by your grace, that is what I'm going to do. So she made her decision. She was convicted that this was what the Lord required. And so out of a grateful and thankful heart, because she loved her Lord, that was the decision she made. And she left her Sunday-keeping church and was fully joined to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Well, of course, Lauren, her husband, was very happy about this. And his father, Minnie's father-in-law, was happy too. What a privilege to study with someone and bring them to the Lord. Well, Minnie, being an honest-hearted soul, one that was fully convicted, once you see the truth, can you keep it to yourself, really? Well, that's how Minnie felt, just like what you said, Diane, no. How can we keep this precious message to ourselves? We can't. And so she started finding ways to share it with friends, with neighbors. She would get literature. And later on, when they had children, by this time, when, when children came around, we had uh, various church publications, and we had our little friend for children. And so they would get our little friend, and on Sabbath, they would leave early in their wagon to go to church, and they would bring their papers, their uh, Adventist papers, and as they would go along the road on the way to church, they would stop at the neighbor's, and they would leave various church papers, Adventist reviews, and uh, other uh, church literature. And the children especially enjoyed bringing our little friends to the homes where there were children. And sometimes uh, the children would come out and they were excited because there was something for them. And they would want to come, let's go to Sabbath school, let's go to Sabbath school. And by the time the Sipes would arrive, to Sabbath school, they would have a whole wagon filled with neighbor children. And you know, this still happens today. I've heard stories uh, in various places where uh, there's a special ministry that we can do for children, and children are often more open. And let's not forget that we can have branch Sabbath schools. That's still a a possibility that we can do in our neighborhoods uh, with neighborhood children. So I want to encourage you to do that. Well, Minnie Sipe is a very good example of a missionary. And she paid special attention to her neighbors. She would often make things for them. She would write what were called missionary letters to encourage people. 
And today, you know, letter writing is almost a lost art. I remember back in the day when uh, a mailbox could be filled with handwritten letters. I'm sure you do too. But today, how often do you get a handwritten letter in your mailbox? A couple of times a year. Maybe this is something else we can take from the example of Minnie Sipe. She would write missionary letters and would include a track or a poem, something she would cut out maybe from the Adventist Review or from Signs of the Times. She would put it in a letter and send it off to someone. Uh, a, a modern version of that that I've heard that some people do, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with glow tracks. Yes, I've heard of people when they pay their bills, if you don't pay them online, if you still pay them with, uh, through the regular mail, just slip in a glow track, and that bill can turn into a missionary letter. That's another example uh, that we can learn from Minnie Sype. Uh, she was very creative in finding ways uh, to share her faith. Well, not only that, but she felt a conviction to preach. And so she started preaching, and her husband, Lauren Sype, who was the Seventh-day Adventist, he had a beautiful voice. And so he would be like a singing evangelist and would sing for the meetings, and they would have tent meetings, and then many would preach. They made a very good couple. Sometimes many would meet opposition. And there's a really uh, a very good story here uh, when she was preaching and uh, the Sunday Keeping Churches, Baptists, uh, particularly in one town in Iowa, they did not like her preaching because other church members were being drawn and were seeing that this was uh, biblical, what she was preaching. So he set up a tent and started preaching the Baptist message, which, of course, there are many good things about the Baptist message, but one is not about the Sabbath. And so he wanted to preach with Mrs. Sipe, Minnie, about faith. And she said, that's fine. We can preach about faith. And so the large crowd was electric with anticipation as the Adventist minister showed the importance and nature of faith from the Bible. Now, uh, remember, we have the two credentials, and so women back then could be licensed ministers, which many uh, eventually did become, and she carried a ministerial license for a long time. And so the Baptist preacher he tried to make a point showing that the Baptists live by faith, but the Adventists do not, which, of course, is still an argument today because we worship on Sabbath. Well, he brought what he thought would be ammunition that couldn't be refuted. He brought a letter about William Miller, and this man, he had a doctorate. After reading it, Dr. Ellison condemned Seventh-day Adventists for teaching that the world would end in 1844. He spent quite a while criticizing William Miller's teachings and ridiculing the Adventists. And I'm reading, by the way, from a book called Called by God. William Miller's teachings, he, he was trying to put together with Adventist, which, of course, it was the Advent message, but not Seventh-day Adventist. And so he ridiculed the Adventists as preaching that the world would end in 1844. He sat down, sure that his material about Miller had discredited, had discredited the Seventh-day Adventists. Calmly, Minnie Sipe acknowledged that William Miller, while a good man, had, like most people, made some mistakes. She then went on to point out 
that when Dr. Ellison condemned William Miller, he was speaking about a member of his own denomination. For William Miller was a Baptist, not a Seventh-day Adventist. The Seventh-day Adventist church, of course, had not become a church or even started their work in 1844. This information disappointed the Baptist minister, and it was to the amusement, just as I heard you chuckling, of course, they did too. So Minnie Sipe had a good sense of humor, which she would need, because back then, especially in what was considered kind of the Wild West, uh, because she did move, um, she was, her husband uh, took a job out west and she went out there to a mining town. Uh, well, they also went to Oklahoma, which back then was known Oklahoma and Indian Territory. And there was a lot of opposition there because, again, a lot of people thought that Adventists were this strange, uh, not really a church, kind of maybe even a cult. And uh, there was a lot of resistance. Another time we are told about when uh, Minnie, uh, in her tent meetings, because she was an evangelist for uh, the Iowa conference, while she was preaching, all of a sudden they could hear and they could see, in fact, these rocks being thrown on top of the tent. And Minnie calmed the, the people down and said, don't worry, if they're after anyone, they're after my husband and myself. And she had a calm sense that the Lord was with her because she knew that he was with her as she did the work that he had called her to do. She felt very distinctly that the Lord had called her to share in homes as well as preaching publicly. And again, this is something that the ministerial license was particularly good for. It, it showed that the church had confidence in this person who held the ministerial license, that they are licensed to preach, they are licensed to give Bible studies, and to spread the message. And so this is what Minnie Sype did. In fact, uh, as I said, she held the ministerial license. I believe she was one of the longest holders of a ministerial license within the Adventist church. Her work resulted in many church plants. And of course, in order to officially establish a church, an ordained minister needed to do that, but that wasn't a problem because she would go in to territories that were very hard to reach. In fact, uh, other people had tried, other uh, other Adventists, in fact, had gone into various places and were not able to raise up a church. Minnie Sipe would go in, and because of the way that she could deal with people and the Lord's blessings, she was able to raise up churches where others had not. So the conference president would come in after she uh, had uh, studied with people, had given meetings, and then they would establish various churches throughout Iowa, throughout Oklahoma. So she did a wonderful work in that way. Her husband, interestingly enough, was given a missionary license, which is not the same as a ministerial license, but it is a license that church workers have. It's, it's one of the options, a missionary license or missionary credential, that also shows that the church has confidence in that person and that they are rightly representing the Seventh-day Adventist church. Well, Minnie did have uh, some sadness and she did have some sickness, but throughout that time, she continued to place her trust fully 
in the Lord, and uh, he would heal her, and she was able again to go up and to preach and to visit in homes. This was a very important method that many would use, and I think today we would do very well in when we have evangelism, evangelistic meetings, it's not enough to just have the speaker in the front. It's really important to visit people in their homes, to get to know them, to get to know their needs, to be able to answer their questions. Because often in a public setting, people will not have the courage to ask, but one-on-one, -on -one, they will. And that was something that many did very, very well. Well, Minnie's husband, Lauren, they had a long, good life together, but Minnie's husband did pass away, and uh, she remarried sometime after that. And she also wrote a book to help fund her missionary endeavors. And you might be interested in uh, looking up her book. It is available for free online. You can download it. And it's called Life Sketches and Experiences in Missionary Work. I'll tell you that again in case you wanted to write that down. It's called Life Sketches and Experiences in Missionary Work. And uh, it's by Minnie Sipe. It was published in 1912, and uh, I did some reading in there, and it's very interesting. It also gives a good picture of what life was like in mid-America uh, in the early 1900s, so I can recommend that book to you. So many retired after uh, she remarried, but she still continued her missionary endeavors, reaching out to friends, to neighbors, and occasionally she was invited to preach uh, in evangelistic meetings. Uh, after her second husband passed away, she did marry again. So she had three, uh, yes, three husbands. Uh, I'm not sure if she outlasted the third husband, but uh, you can read more about her. Unfortunately, one of her sons was killed. Uh, he was down uh, waiting at a train station when there was a, a drunken man who got into an argument with some other men about the luggage, and somehow he punched Minnie's son a fatal blow and um, this son had uh, had some problems, uh, and many had been worried about him. But uh, before he died, he asked his mother to pray for him, and he also prayed, which was a great comfort to many. So uh, this is one person, just a, a regular person in many ways, like us, and yet one who had, uh, who felt a missionary call to serve the Lord in various ways, in home missionary work, one-on-one -on -one in homes, and as well as public evangelism. So uh, you can look up more about Minisipe. Uh, there's lots available on the internet. But again, I want to encourage you, it's always good to go to original sources. And so her autobiography is uh, a very good source for that. And uh, as you can see here, she, uh, as she was born in 1869, and uh, she passed away in 1956. So do we have any questions or comments on Minnie before we uh, now go into the 1881? Yeah, online. For free. It, it's down. Oh, okay, yeah, you just, just Google uh, Google the name of her book, or also, uh, interestingly, it was uh, it's uh, available on Amazon. <laughs> That's right. So if if you have questions afterwards, come up to me, and I, I can show it to you again. So uh, 
before, uh, yes, and a reminder to wait for the microphone and I will repeat your question to make sure that everyone hears it and also for the recording. So the question, that question was where can we find her book? And again, the answer is it's online. You simply Google it. You can download a free copy or you can also order it from Amazon. Okay. I was just wanting to ask, yesterday, Lulu Whiteman, there were letters um, documenting that they were very concerned about her pay, et cetera, et cetera. We're not hearing that with, with um, Minnie. So was she busy doing the work and not so concerned? There doesn't seem to be the same spirit here. Yes, good point. The, the question is, we, there were some concerns yesterday with Lulu, and there doesn't seem to be so many concerns with Minnie, and was Minnie simply doing the work? Uh, yes, I would say so. There's a lot more, uh, not that Lulu didn't do some work, but we seem, it seems that Minnie was more involved in just focusing on the work that God had called her to do. And uh, while they did move some, uh, it was uh, often due to her husband's uh, work that, that he was called to do, but they did not move as much as, as the Whitemans, that's, that's for sure. Yes. Okay, good question. Uh, anything else? Okay, well, let's uh, move on then to the 1881 General Conference session. Oh, I guess we do have a question or comment before we do that. Well, you said that she had the ministerial license longer than anyone. Is that longer even than a man did? Or uh, I said or she was woman. one of the the longest. Oh, who, I thought you said right, she one had of, it the one of the longest who had a ministerial license. Now, of course, uh, a, a man would normally he might start with a license, but then he would eventually receive a, a, the ministerial credential of an ordained minister, which a woman would not. A woman would keep a minute, she would be a li, licentiate, a, a holder of the ministerial license. That's right. Okay. Oh, we have another question. Oh, all right. Does that hold true now also before a pastor is ordained? Are they considered licensed? Okay, pastors who are not ordained. Um, you know, this has changed over the recent, recent years. Um, in the 1970s, we, for those of you who were here at the beginning, you might remember we had women were given licenses, but then for a variety of reasons that stopped in the 1970s. So men also, when they are first hired by a conference, they're not immediately ordained. They are given a credential but it is not the same as an ordained minister credential. They work, often there's an internship, um, this, but as I've said, this has changed really very recently, even uh, since my husband. My, my husband, when he was, he was hired by the Northern California Conference, when he was finishing his theology training from Pacific Union College, and then he was hired by the Northern California Conference, and he was uh, a pastor, an assistant pastor at a church in that conference, and then sent back to seminary. And he, he wasn't ordained at that point. And then after seminary, came back and pastored some more. And then uh, the idea is to give evidence of your calling as a gospel minister. And it's not an automatic thing. And uh, then it's discussed by the conference and then the union, and then the person is ordained. So it might be done somewhat differently today. I'm not sure if there's a two-year internship, 
Uh, that's a good question, but I know that uh, a person who's immediately hired, for example, right out of school, is not just ordained. They are given some kind of credential before that to work until they are ordained. And uh, women are given, uh, there's the commissioned minister's license that we talked about. And the way that a woman who has a commissioned credential can perform the functions of an ordained minister is by virtue of first being ordained as a local church elder and currently serving as a local church elder, at least according to policy, uh, not always perhaps by practice. Okay? Clear? Okay, so 1881 General Conference session. This session is maybe not quite as famous as the 1888 session, which was held in Minneapolis. Nevertheless, this is an interesting session, 1881, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which, and this will probably be very hard for you to see, but I'm going to see what we have here, and you can look this up online. Uh, everyone has access to the General Conference Session uh, report, the minutes, and the official publication, uh, who remembers, I, I think we talked about this, what is the official uh, publication that records the minutes of a General Conference Session? It's the Review and Herald, and they publish, even to this day, they publish what's called the General Conference Bulletin. And each day there's a new bulletin. And if you go online to the Adventist Archives website, you can look back and you can look at all of these minutes. The General Conference Bulletin has full reports. And so that's what happened in 1881 as well. And this is something... that has drawn attention of people over the years. From, 18, from the 1881 session, and it is, in speci it is specific about women and whether they should be ordained or not. And uh, I remember asking before, who had heard about the, this resolution, so-called resolution, uh, because it starts with the word resolved, resolved, and uh, I'm just uh, getting my copy up here. I'll explain a little bit of the background to this, and um, we can, uh, I, I don't have any more PowerPoint to show, so we can uh, finish with the pow that PowerPoint. In the 1800s, there was something called the Resolution Committee. The Resolution Committee. And this committee, they would study various issues and then it was a standing committee, a very well-respected committee, and then they would form what was called a resolution. And then that resolution would be taken to the general conference session, to the floor, for discussion and for a vote, or it could either be referred back to the resolution committee, or very rarely it was referred, as it is in this case, as we will see momentarily, back, instead of being referred back to the resolution committee, it was referred to the general conference committee. And that's very significant. And if you look in the general conference bulletin uh, from this particular session, you will see that this is the only item that was sent to the general conference committee that it, it had not been voted on. It was simply sent back. A resource on this 
that I would like to tell you about that you can look up. Again, it's free and it's online. It is written by Dr. David Trim. You may be familiar with Dr. Trim. David Trim is the director of the Office of Archives, Statistics, and Research at the General Conference. And he wrote a paper. <clears throat> it's called The Ordination of Women in Seventh-day Adventist Policy and Practice Up to 1972. Again, the name of that is The Ordination of Women in Seventh-day Adventist Policy and Practice Up to 1972. And in this paper, he addresses a number of important questions. He, the first question he addresses is, has a Seventh-day Adventist woman ever been ordained to gospel ministry? And he talks about some of the people that, that we have been talking about, uh, Lulu Whiteman, uh, and we'll be talking about SMI Henry and Ellen White. And then he has the section, Seventh-day Adventists and Women in Ministry to 1922. And he also talks about the various forms of ministry. And he has footnotes that will take you to original sources. He draws conclusions from the data. He talks about preachers, not ministers because uh, we've talked about the difference there that you can be a preacher without being a, a minister, an ordained minister. And then he has a very interesting uh, section here, uh, uh, quite a long section about the 1881 General Conference session and about this particular resolution on women. Now, does anyone have, have you seen this online? Okay, Diane, uh, if we can have the microphone, what I'd like to invite you to do now is to read the resolution, and then we're just going to talk a little bit about the resolution. Oh, you don't have it. You, you've read it in the past. Okay, okay, I would like to invite because it's very interesting to hear the resolution. Otherwise, I can read it here. Okay, someone have it that you would Okay, you will find it in the Review and Herald, December 20, 1881, and it says, resolved, and it's in uh, uh, italics, resolved, that females possessing the necessary qualifications to fill that position may with perfect propriety be set apart by ordination to the work of the Christian ministry. Now, for our ears in 2019, what does that sound like? Okay, microphone, please. Okay, when you hear that, it says with the, it sounds like it says with the proper things that they can be ordained. That they can be ordained, yes. And the word resolved, what, in your mind, when you hear something is resolved, what does that mean? Decided, right, that it's resolved. However, it's really important that when we look back at historical documents, we don't just think about it the way we would think. There are many other words that we can think of today, for example, that don't have the same meaning today that they did back in the uh, 19th century. 
And in this case, particularly, when we hear the word resolved, remember the committee I told you about, the uh, resolution committee, this is how they would formulate a motion to come to the general conference session. So, let's continue. It says, resolved that females possessing the necessary qualifications to fill that position may with perfect propriety be set apart by ordination to the work of the Christian ministry. The record continues in the next paragraph after that. This was discussed by J.O. Corliss, A.C. Bardot, E.R. Jones, D.H. Lawson, W.H. Littlejohn, A.S. Hutchins, D.M. Canwright, and J.N. Loughborough, and referred to the General Conference Committee, and referred to the General Conference Committee. So what we have here, this is the process. This item was discussed in the committee, the standing committee, the resolution committee. And they formed it as a motion, just like with anything else that would come to the floor. Because if you look in the records, it says resolved, resolved, resolved. This is how they framed the motion to come for discussion. So they framed it this way. It came to the general conference session. It was discussed, and we have a list of names here of the people who discussed it. Now, do we have any record of a vote in the report that I just read? No, there's nothing that says that this was voted or that it passed or any indication whatsoever that a vote was even taken, that it was voted on and it lost. It doesn't say that either. It simply says that it was referred to the General Conference Committee. And that's significant that it wasn't referred back to the Resolutions Committee. Because if it were referred back to the Resolutions Committee, then it could have been, well, we just need to modify it or make some slight change to it. But that's not what the General Conference Committee was about. So it went to the General Conference Committee where it died. Nothing further happened. But there are people today who are saying that's not the case. They are saying clearly that back then in 1881, this came to the General Conference in session, that they voted it, and it was simply referred to this committee for implementation, and that this committee did not implement it. Has anyone heard that argument? Okay, and if you haven't yet, you, you may hear this argument. So why could they argue this? Well, there is some basis upon which they can rest an argument. One of those is that in addition to the Review and Herald, which by the way is the official minutes, they carry the official minutes of the session, we had another publication at that time called Signs of the Times. And Signs of the Times was also carrying reports from the 1881 General Conference session. However, a couple of very important things to keep in mind about the Signs of the Times reports. First of all, the Signs reports, they were not the official record of what happened. That's very important to keep in mind. Secondly, they presented a summary report. They would not report everything that you find in the Review and Herald. So, David Trim addresses this very well in this paper that I told you about. It's uh, under the section confusion between what was reported in Review and Herald and Signs of the Times. He writes, 
The church had two periodicals in 1881, Review and Herald, the original paper, and Signs of the Times, which was for the growing West Coast community of Adventists. GC session minutes were published in full in the Review and Herald, but Signs of the Times naturally included reports on GC sessions, though they were selective. The minutes printed in Review and Herald note that the motion to ordain females was referred to the GC committee, and that's the one that I've just read to you. However, the report in Signs of the Times lists this resolution among several, quotes, resolutions adopted. So they listed this under resolutions adopted. So it looks as if this resolution to ordain women was adopted at the 1881 General Conference session. David Trim continues, there is a misconception that both papers simply printed minutes and that their reports are therefore of equal weight so that no one is free to take the Signs of the Times report as inaccurate and the Review and Herald. That, in other words, either they're accurate or they're inaccurate. And so an argument is being made that the Signs of the Times report was accurate, however, and that the Review and Herald was inaccurate. He says, this is not the case. The report, as I mentioned, in the Review and Herald was the official record. Thus, in the actual minute books of the General Conference sessions in the 1870s and 1880s, the minutes consist of copy cut and pasted from the review. That means if you were to go to the General Conference office today, the office of the secretary, which they are the official keepers of minutes, if you go back, now of course it's housed in the archives, if, if you go to secretariat, you can see the official minutes, but if you want to go back to the 1881 uh, original documents, you would go to the office of archives, you would open the book up, and you would see a physical copy where they took the Review and Herald columns, they cut and they pasted them in, and that was really the official minutes. So if you have a discrepancy, which we do in this case, we do have a discrepancy between what is reported in the Review and Herald and what is reported, on the other hand, in Signs of the Times, which one are you going to go with? Of course, you're going to go with the official minutes, which is the Review and Herald. So that's one of the reasons that people, uh, some people are arguing today, well, it really, this action really was taken and women could be ordained, but it died in the committee, the implementation. However, we know from the official records printed in the Review and Herald that that was not the case. Then the second one, which we've already addressed really, is confusion over the word resolved. Today we think when something is resolved, it's taken care of. It's accepted, it's done. Where I think, uh, I hope it's pretty clear that back then, resolved was simply the way they formed the motion from the resolution committee. So, where does this all lead us today? Well, if we want something to be, we will look for things to substantiate what we want it to be. And we are all at times guilty of that. We are all selective of looking at various bits of history of information and so on and to put together what we would hope it to be. And yet, if we can go back and look at the records for what they are and simply read them for what they are, understanding 
the use of the terminology at that time, I think we can understand that at the 1881 General Conference session, it was not voted to ordain women to the gospel ministry. So um, do we have questions in the time we have left? Sure, a comment. Uh, we have a comment. Wait for the microphone. Thank you. I just wanted to mention for the interest of history that the 1881 General Conference session was the first one after James White's death. So some people may have been thinking, let's honor Ellen White and ordain her as a minister. Who knows what they were thinking? It's interesting if you read in 5T, Ellen White reiterates her counsel that had already been given to the churches, which is sexually, which has gender-specific counsel. The primary purpose of our schools was to ordain young men, prepare young men for the ministry, and to prepare those of both sexes for various branches of the work. That is listed after the 1881 GC decision not to re go with that motion. That yes, thank you, Diane. Gina That's a very important point, uh, what Diane was saying. Uh, after this decision, where it is brought out that the purpose is to train young men for the ministry. That, that's correct. Yes, it was gender specific. Okay, other, okay we have a question over here. Uh, microphone is coming. You had uh, shared with us the history of the um, principle of, of working by gospel order. Uh, a couple days ago, and your husband very well share, shared that. And I, in my reading research, I, I noticed that I think it was um, Elder Loughborough that put together a um, church manual or something of that nature was the first one. I'm wondering if that reiterated that concept of, of establishing churches through gospel order and, of course, for the ordination issue as well of uh, the one put together by John Loughborough. Well, they so. tried to be consistent, yes. With, that was, again, very foundational. The, the gospel order visions and what was written at that time, and they tried to be consistent throughout, which actually is another good argument for why in 1888 it shows that uh, it, it was not voted. But to your specific question, I would have to do a little more research. But okay. thank you. Question yeah, is, second question. You had mentioned a, a vision that Ellen White had had uh, in the 50s that precipitated this gospel order concept. Where is the reference to that? I, I didn't get that. Early. Okay, have you looked in early writings? Is that what that, that refers to? The I mean, early the writings. Of that? Okay. Yeah. 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 Just one moment. Microphone is coming. Almost there. Okay. I had a question. I'm, it's been a couple years since I read it, but Brian Strayer in the biography of Jan Loughborough, he mentions that Willie White and John Loughborough went to California for a women's ordination. And I don't, I think it's California, but I don't remember the year and I don't remember the details. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Or? Are you thinking of the ordination of deaconesses? There is a couple of cases um, where Willie White was present where deaconesses were ordained, but it did not happen very often. And again, uh, I would just encourage you, because there are many books, there are books that will say some different things from what I'm sharing with you. And so don't believe it because I said it. Don't believe it because you read it in a book. Go back to the original sources. Dig deeply. Find those original sources. And then uh, it, it becomes much more clear. There were uh, at least a couple of occasions that I'm aware of where Willie White was present and deaconesses were ordained. But uh, to my knowledge, 
and not an ordination uh, to the gospel ministry, uh, a woman ordained to the gospel ministry. So I'd be very interested uh, to see the reference to that, the original reference to that. Uh, can you? There wasn't much detail. There wasn't much detail. Right. Sometimes things are said and there's not a lot of detail given. And that's why, especially with a statement like that, always look for the detail uh, and go and look at that original source that is cited. And if there's not a source cited, that's suspect. (laughs) Okay? All right. Well, thank you for coming tomorrow. We are going to talk about uh, one of my favorite women preachers, S.M.I. Henry, Serepita. What a wonderful name, huh? Uh, she, she is great. So uh, uh, we'll see you tomorrow when we talk about S.M.I. Henry and be ready for your quiz. And uh, you'll get a book. Uh, if you haven't gotten your book yet and don't want to wait for the quiz, they are available over at the ABC. Women's Ordination Doesn't Matter. Why don't we have a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to uh, learn more about uh, another woman who served as a missionary for you and uh, shared in uh, many wonderful ways the truth that you had given to her. And also for the privilege of looking at our history again and how you moved in the 1881 General Conference session. And uh, we just ask that you will continue to guide us, help us as we study and learn more. We pray in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.